This is unstructured. Hey, everybody. I'm with Laura Peterson. Laura spelled Peterson with an E end on the end because so far on unstructured, we cannot interview any Peterson that has an O. <laughs> so you're in good company with Austin Peterson. And Laura runs Copy That Pops. And that's in a bit of a transition. She is focused on copywriting initially, but now is more focused on general book writing and, and specifically publishing and getting authors and new authors out published in a good manner, helping promote them, helping get them to an Amazon bestseller status, things like that. But to sh start the show out, we really need to talk about an important subject. And mm -hmm. I understand that you enjoy the it crowd. Yes, I don't know. And I don't know. I always call it the IT crowd. So I'm not sure which way it's pronounced or said, but I freaking adore it. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> well, I have some good news for you. Um, it was announced late last year that NBC is working with Graham Linen, the original <gasps> writer, to possibly bring it up. It's the third time that they've tried to create an American version of it. So, Oh, my goodness. I will I totally watch it. And I think um, Richard Aoti, I don't know how to see, mm -hmm. I'll mess that one up, may be part of it. I know he was supposed to be on board for at least the first American version. Wow. But if he's on and that's on, that would be a very cool thing. That's amazing. That's, yeah, I think it ran like 2004 to 2006 around then. Yeah, and it's just four years, four seasons. Yeah. And like, I think a lot of British comedies tend to be fewer episodes than like the US mm -hmm. one. So there's maybe like six per season. So maybe there's like a total of 25 to 30 episodes. Yeah. My husband and I have literally watched every single episode. I would not be lying if I said 20 to 30 times each. I'm not kidding you. Like I know all the words to every episode. Well, just like <laughs> the other day we were just like cooking and we just put it on the background and we just love it. We adore it. So I believe well, the British tend to have um, shorter runs of their series. One, yeah. there's not as many channels and two, mm -hmm. they have one writer. The creator often is the only writer on the show, oh, wow. whereas here we have the writing teams and we're pumping out 22 episodes per season. Interesting. So, and, and that's part of the reason their shows quite often are so tightly focused is this one person. It's, mm. It is utterly their vision and they're able to express it completely. That's interesting. Very cool. So now moving to the actual subject, <laughs> what, what brought you into... Um, writing as a whole. I know you have a yeah. psychology background, so there's yeah. a little bit of path. Yeah, I definitely kind of jumped all over the place. I feel like maybe that's a lot of us. We kind of try a bunch of things and see what, how it comes together. But I actually started college. I started my undergrad as an English major, um, but they kind of sucked the fun out of it pretty fast. It was like read a giant novel and write a giant paper every week. And I was like, whoa, I thought this was more fun. And now this is just sort of torture. So I kept taking psychology classes and I just fell in love with it. And I saw how applicable psychology was to everything to improving your life. And now I use it to improve your business or your writing for your business. Um, so I've always kind of been a nerd for writing. I would never, I would never self-identify as a writer or an author though. I think mm -hmm. I was just such a nerd in school that like I got a lot of practice writing essays, editing papers, and just looking at sort of technical things to make sure stuff flows. So I never self-identified as a writer or as an author. Um, I was a high school teacher. So I taught high school math and psychology. 
So you run from English to um, something more lively, like math. Well, As most English majors, they just enjoy math. They, they, they can't I, get enough. I math. love math too, <laughs> though. That's the thing. I love math. Like I would rather do some math problems than write an essay. Still, even so. And uh, I thought as a teacher, I would rather grade math problems than teenagers' essays. So I, that's part of the reason I picked math, because I thought it'd be easier to do the grading. And I loved it. I love teaching math. I love working with students. Uh, I taught a, a variety of the levels, but it was mostly honors algebra two. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were, I think they were sophomores who were taking like junior level math. It was really, really fun. And I also taught AP psychology. So people who are studying for the AP exam. And I loved it, but I was about to turn 30 and I was teaching for about five years. And I was like, okay, I feel like I've mastered this teaching thing. I have this drive to be an entrepreneur. So I'm just going to take the leap. And my first business that worked was a tutoring and test prep company, which makes the most sense because that's what I knew was education. Mm -hmm. And uh, that company is still alive today, but I don't, I'm not involved in it anymore because my heart started getting more and more into digital marketing. So all the stuff we were doing for growing that company, I kind of got more into that and helping other entrepreneurs do what I was doing. So that's when I started down a path of podcast production. So I used to have a podcast production company in between mm -hmm. the tutoring company and what I do now. And I started my own podcast in April of 2016 because I thought, you know, I'm helping a bunch of clients do their show, but I've never experienced it for myself from the beginning. And I feel like I may be missing a, a certain level of understanding for them. So mm -hmm. I started my own and I thought it's a great tool to grow my brand too. And like you said, I definitely I have focused on a variety of different aspects of copy. So writing for business, whether that's short form like bios or social media posts or Facebook ads or long, longer stuff like landing pages, uh, blogs. But when I wrote my own first book at the end of 2016, really just as a positioning statement to try to stand out from the crowd, I got such an incredible response from other people who were like, oh my God, help me do that too. And the demand for people wanting help with their book was so much higher than the podcast side of things. And I felt like there was also more margin to charge a better price when it comes to the books because a lot of folks want to outsource their podcast production for a couple bucks an hour to like the Philippines or somewhere where the mm -hmm. VAs are a lot cheaper. But you can't outsource having someone help you with your book for $5 an hour. So it ended up just being a different business angle that I saw such demand and kind of a nice culmination of my past skills and, and uh, what's the word? you know, preferences and things. So in 2017, I started helping people for free. In exchange, I said, can I just record our coaching sessions? And they're like, sure. I put that behind, uh, you know, a, a course, a membership site. Mm -hmm. And I added video tutorials and checklists. And I just ended up creating entire a course, an implementation program. Started selling that, started taking on clients like privately and working with them. And in 2018, I just decided to let everything else go that I was juggling in 2017 and just go all in on books because it's such an incredible tool to grow your brand and business and position yourself as a leader. And it just really aligns with what I'm all about. So that's, that's a long, cool. long story short. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. A couple of things I noticed. You said you didn't self-identify as an author. You sort of self-identified yeah. as a teacher. Yes. But is it a case that maybe you're just one who writes and one who podcasts and one who teaches? Mm. 
but you're not necessarily wearing the identity of any one particular thing. And that's why you shift about is because you like doing Hmm. versus being. That is such an interesting question. I very strongly self-identify as a teacher. I very, very strongly self-identify as a podcaster. But even though I have two books, I don't, I was like, oh yeah, I wrote books. I forgot. Like for some reason, I don't even still 100% self-identify as an author, even though that's what I do and help other people do. So it is funny. It's not that I don't identify with any term. I definitely, Mm -hmm. I love like digital nomad. I love traveling the world and being able to work from my laptop anywhere. Are you a polyglot? I am. I speak German and Spanish. Nice, nice. And English, obviously. <laughs> I even <laughs> I even took some American Sign Language when I was a teacher. I don't know very much anymore, but I can I can say like my name is Laura, and I I remember a couple other fun words like uh, potato. Very important. Yeah, I don't know, just random, <laughs> <laughs> random stuff that sticks in your head. <laughs> well, I think that's a, a truly uh, international language currently. Hmm. Because sign language can cross every cultural divide and every hmm. pattern. I, well, I've read I know, that somewhere. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I know there's definitely American Sign Language, A ASL. American Sign Yeah, mm-hmm. ASL. So there might be sign languages in other um cultures and countries, but there's probably more overlap maybe than like English versus Russian. There's probably more overlap in the sign language. That's interesting. And things like eating and rocking, it, it, just a lot of natural things that we describe with our hands. Yeah. I think carry. I mean, we sort of do that on our own anyway. Mm. Now, out of curiosity, one benefit I, I could see with your helping authors or, you know, prospective authors become authors. Mm-hmm. It's a weird analogy, but I love analogies. Um, I sometimes pace for races, like a half marathons and things like that. Right. And I get a lot of joy out of that. Um, one of the big benefits of it is that when I run a race, I cross the finish line one time. But when I pace a group, I cross the finish line X number of times in my mind because of all the people who are coming with me. So I didn't know if you got that same satisfaction in a way that you're not only finishing your book this year, but you're finishing eight, 10, 20 books this year. Yeah, for sure. I think that maybe you feel this way too. It's like once you accomplish something, it feels amazing. But then the next step is like, well, let me help more people do this too. So it's like once I wrote my first book, I was like, awesome. And so many people wanted help. I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it together. And I feel like we all have our own personal roadblocks that we Mm -hmm. come in in contact with. For me, I didn't really hit that many when it came to writing just because of my background with the nerdiness with writing, but I've absolutely felt it with things like public speaking or Mm -hmm. other sort of stepping outside of your comfort zone type of a thing. So I know what it feels like to feel that about writing. So I think that I have a good ability to connect with people and help them push through their limiting beliefs. Plus, I used to teach high school math. So if I can teach teenagers math, I think I can teach adults how to get their book done. <laughs> well, psychology. And uh, out of curiosity, do you face a lot of imposter syndrome from uh, your clients? I do. Not every single one of them, or maybe they don't call it that or say it outright, but absolutely. And that's actually why I wrote the second book the way that I did. So my second book is called Permission to Write a Brand Building Book. And 
it was originally called a best-selling book, but Amazon flagged that. They didn't like using bestseller in the title. So lesson learned, there are certain words that Amazon will trigger. So I changed it to brand building book. But I was originally writing my second book as more of like a how to write a book. And as I was working with clients, I just felt like, wow, so many people, it seems like they're looking externally for validation that they're good enough, that they're expert enough, that they're allowed to write a book and share what they know with the world. And so I ended up just getting so fired up about it that I was like, I'm just going to write an entire book just about this. And so I bust nine beliefs, like nine myths (laughs) that are limiting beliefs. And yeah. So if I ever meet someone who's like, oh, I've been thinking about a book, but I haven't done it yet. I'm like, okay, you must read this then because something's holding you back. So let's break up. Cool. And I think you've um, also said what perfection is the enemy of good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Or it's the enemy of great. It's the enemy of awesome. There is no such thing as perfection. So if you're just always striving after this mystical thing that you're never going to reach, time is just slipping away and you're not helping the people that you could be helping with your quote unquote, not perfect, but really great work. So how do you start somebody off? I mean, um, I come to you. And I may be coming to you. I don't know (laughs) yet. I have some books in my past, so I'm kind of in a, in a different spot. And that's something I'd like to cover too. What, what do you say to a prospective author? I have um, definitely some people in the group. Again, I know at least one person who's written a couple of books on his own that he just reads off himself on YouTube. And I'm like, why don't you get them published and push them out? Yeah. Put it on all the platforms for sure. Could strip the audio, put it in iTunes, make a little book podcast. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I you know if someone starts to work with me, whether they're in my bestseller implementation program or if they're in my inner circle, if someone is or if they're a private client, if they're like, okay, I'm in, I want to write a book. If they say I'm not sure what to write about, then we say, okay, cool. I have this method I love to I call the PST method um, to go from no idea to awesome outline. Because I find that if someone has a really detailed thought out outline, it's like a roadmap for the book and it doesn't seem as overwhelming or out of reach anymore. So the P in the PST method is post-it notes. So I always have post notes all over. Like we're on a video together. No one can see (laughs) this, but I literally have post-it notes right in front of me. (laughs) So I love to encourage people, whether or not they use post notes and you scratch the paper or journal, but just to get every idea conceivable out of their head. Cause it's so overwhelming if you just keep it in your own head. Cause like when I was going to write my first book, I could write about English or psychology or copy or podcasting or traveling the world. Like there's so many things I could write about that I was so stressed. And I was like, I don't know what to pick. So get it all out of your head, put it on paper. I like it on post notes because then you can move the notes around and kind of restructure and reorganize things so that you start to see new connections form. So Mm -hmm. the P is just brain dump, get it all out in post-it notes. And then the S is what I call my spider web mind map. And you can use this tool I really recommend called MindMeister. So it's mindmeister.com and it's free to do like a, one of those mind maps digitally. So if you like to do stuff online, I'd recommend using MindMeister. If you want to just use a pen and paper, you can absolutely do that too. But this is when we look at all of our ideas and we come up with just one that we're going to focus on and that's what we're going to write our book about. Now, I usually say you could pick one thing or pick two things where they overlap. Mm-hmm. 
And that can be a great combo. So what I ended up doing my first book was, was where writing overlaps with podcasting. So my book is called Copywriting for Podcasters. And I looked out there, there's not a single other book out there. So I was like, whoa, I can be the first one to, you know. That's cool. So I could do interviewing and podcasting. For sure. You could do like the art of podcast interviewing. Exactly. And so just like really niche it down. And we can also talk a little bit about why niching is so good because even though there are fewer people searching for that type of a book, you Mm -hmm. can use the book. Forget about sales. I literally don't even care if I have zero sales because I'm going to use this book to get speaking gigs and to get interviewed on podcasts and to open up other doors. And having a really specialized niched book is so great for getting those specialized other niche opportunities on different shows or stages or whatever. And you can write more than one book. It's not like you have to write one and you're done your whole life. Write one niche about this and one niche about that. And now you're like a five-time author. It's like even better. So, so it establishes authority. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know of another thing like a book that is so accessible to establish yourself and position yourself as a, an authority. There's like this magic around books because books used to be only for people who were tapped on their shoulder by some giant publishing company in New York or whatever, or they had this huge budget to like pay the right connections to get their book through the, through the whatever. Now, Anyone can choose themselves and say, I want to be an author. Self-publishing has never been easier to do before than before. And even big names are choosing to self-publish over mm-hmm. traditional publishing deals because they're just not as good as they once were or as they would like you to think they are. So would you say that this might be the golden age yes. of doing it? Like and the reason why I'm saying <laughs> it is right now there is a certain weight of authority mm-hmm. carried with being an author i fear that in a year or two that authority is going to be waning Mm. quickly kind of like if you say that you're a blogger you're not necessarily going to be getting a lot of prestige Mm -hmm. yeah i i think that right now is an amazing golden age because there is that mystique and mystery and magic around the book because of its past history as being a real tool of differentiation and it's easier than you thought, and not everyone and their mom is doing it. So I think it's this magical time to take advantage. Uh, I can say is compared to things like podcasting and blogging, they don't have the same history as books do. So I feel like right. the magic is going to stay a little longer, but I think right now is an amazing time. So yeah. Yeah. Like to, with podcasting, to be honest, um, Part of the struggle with growing podcasting in my mind is it has the same rep as um, public access or local cable Mm. television. Mm -hmm. It's amateur hour. There is a rep of, you know, two guys in the basement or Wayne's world and audio. (laughs) And, and that's, that's something that has to be overcome. Unfortunately, there's serials and unstructured to help (laughs) lead the path forward. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, And what I also like to work with my clients too is once we've got the book, that's amazing. That's an incredible milestone. But now let's use the book to get you on stage more, to get you more awesome photos that you can use to position your credibility, to get more podcast interviews, to get more media and PR. Because the more of these boxes you check off, the more author, I'm sorry, the more expert you look, the more authority that you have. So a book to me is a like a lead domino. It helps push everything down afterwards. 
But I would argue, don't just stop with a book. Let's use the book to get you more of the other things too. So you're just adding credibility upon credibility upon credibility. And when people come to you to make a buying decision, they're like, well, this person is obviously legitimate. It's just a matter of timing or it's just a matter of, can I make the finances work or whatever? It's not about, is this person real or know what they're talking about? Because you've established that through all these different things. Okay, so, so you help pe- you help um, authors beyond just a book then with- I do in marketing. my inner circle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And Larry's in that. So Larry Roberts, shout out to him. You had him on episode, was it like 32? I'm forgetting the number. Recently. Well, yeah. I don't know. Everything's recent, but <laughs> Larry is very memorable. Yes. He will actually be on um, an upcoming episode as a guest co-host. Nice. I love it. Yeah. And I love his voice too. I can listen to it forever. Oh, he's- He's a, a crazy ball of energy, kind of like you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, oh, um, well, I was going to say bef- to go back to the PST because I don't think I finished that. So I don't want anyone hanging out there oh, going, oh sorry. my gosh. But yeah, so for S, you're picking the topic and you're going to put it in the middle of your spider web, quote unquote. So whatever your one idea is or your overlap of two ideas, put that in the middle. And then you're going to brain dump again all the ideas around that one central core element. And if you're still not sure how to pick that one core thing, which your book is going to be about, I would recommend to think about project into the future. I want to be talking on TV about X. I want to be speaking on stage about Y. I want to be getting interviewed about whatever on podcasts, whatever that is, what you want to be known for more, pick a topic that's going to lead to proving that you're an expert in those things. So Although I love international travel, and by the end of 2018, I'll have been to 44 countries, not talking about that on stage isn't necessarily going to get people to want to work with me to write a book. So I'm not going to be writing about digital nomadism, at least not right now. So I'm going to be writing more about how to write books and hit bestseller and all that kind of stuff, because that's what I want to be known for. for Um, Have you heard the thing when your hobby becomes your job, life Uh sucks? Oh, yeah. If you really love to travel, be careful with it because if traveling becomes your job, you Mm. may lose a little of the luster. But if you can enjoy the travel while you're doing something else, then you keep that. That's your thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they also have psychological studies where they show that if you get rewarded for things, and they do this with like little kids. So if uh, kids love drawing paint, like pictures, and if you say, oh my gosh, good job, here's a candy for drawing that picture, and you start giving them rewards for doing what they already love, they do stop doing those things. They don't want it anymore. And mm-hmm. the argument has been applied to like, you know, should we pay college athletes or, or you know, what, those types of things. So that's a very interesting point. Um, the T. Yeah. So the T. Okay. So <laughs> good. Get, bring me back to this PST. No. So, so once you bring up all the things around your central idea that, that's going to be the core of your book, you, let's like imagine it like a spider where the head is in the middle and that's your core idea or overlap of two ideas. And then all the little legs sprouting mm-hmm. out all over the place. Those are all your brain dump ideas. So they're like subtopics of that topic. Hub and spoke. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So for T is I say, okay, now let's take all the little legs, all the subtopic ideas, and let's put them in order chronologically or logically. What is the order that someone should or could learn these things? Because you have to, you know, a book is linear. It has to go one page to the next. So what's the order that this would make most sense to convey to your audience? 
And once you've done that, boom, there's your outline for your book. Now it's not so overwhelming to write because you know the structure. So let's say chapter nine is your favorite topic of all. Start writing there because you'll start getting that momentum. Mm. And like maybe chapter three, you keep on hitting like roadblocks and you're like, you know what? I need to do a little more research on this one to get up to date. So maybe put that one off till later because you already know the structure of how it's going to fit in with your outline. So it just kind of takes some of that pressure off. It's like you don't have to just sit down and write an entire book from start to finish. You can piece it together if you've got a roadmap to follow. That's cool. And I want to follow up with a previous author I had, uh, Jake Bible, who um, writes um, fiction in 30 days. Hmm. Um, or four weeks or however it works. But mm-hmm. he, he said something I never thought of before. He said, always stop in the middle of a chapter. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That way you start fresh and then you run right into the next mm-hmm. and you always stop in the midst. So that kind of reminds me of what you were saying there with starting yeah. with chapter nine. It's like create an open loop in your mind so that you're, you can't wait to get back and like f- close that loop and keep going. That's a great way to keep the momentum going from day to day. Mm-hmm. Now, another challenge um, you probably face, and I've I've heard you talk about it before, but I'd love to hear it again, is um, expertise. And, you know, a a lot of people feel like, "Ah, geez, am I really qualified to to speak on this or, you know, to write on the subject? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that we've all been conditioned, especially with the school system, to like, let's say you're in fifth grade to defer to a high schooler. And if you're in high school, you'd have to defer to like a PhD because they know the most. So you would have, you have no business teaching because it's the PhD level only. But I would argue that someone at the high school level can do a better job of teaching someone in junior high than the PhD can because it's been years since they were in that position. It's been years since they didn't know what they're teaching. It, once we humans learn something, we forget what it feels like to not have known it anymore. That's like, I forget what the psychological principle is. Dunning-Kruger syndrome. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Where the expert is so far, but they don't understand what it is to be lower. And then somebody lower thinks they know more than they really do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am not as familiar with that one, but you know, it's like, let's say you're trying to learn how to skateboard. Cause that's something I do not know how to do. I, don't think I ever will, quite frankly. But <laughs> let's say I magically went out there and learned it over the next month. As soon as I've mm-hmm. got the hang of it, my brain just like cannot remember what it's like to not know it in the same right. way. You know what I mean? So someone who's like the most pro skateboarder maybe won't do as great of a job teaching someone just taking their first push on a skateboard as someone who's just learned it three months ago. They're like, Oh, I got the hang of it. Let me tell you what I just learned or whatever. So. Right. Right. And they know the feeling and the awkwardness of, um, yeah. That that learning that, that part where you're striving and it's, it's almost painful. Yeah. Yeah. And then add technology onto it. Cause if we're talking about business now, someone who, let's say someone who learned or taught how to write a book 20 years ago versus me who just, published my second one a couple months ago, who has got more relevant information in their mind mm-hmm. about just the tools available. So sure. putting that to people who are listening, no matter where you are, if you actually know something, if you have learned something, which if you're in a business at all, or if you're trying to grow a brand, you better, otherwise you're completely faking, but I'm doubting anyone listening to this is like that. So you know something, you are at a certain level. Let's say you're at level four out of 10 in your field, 
You have so much you can teach to people at levels one, two, and three. So much. You are expert to them. You don't have to be the premier expert in the entire universe that ever lived in order to teach on what you know. You just need to know more than the people for whom you're writing. So I would say, stop stressing so much about trying to impress everyone else who's like in your mind ahead of you and just focus on giving value to the people behind you in the journey because you absolutely can and should. Okay. And sometimes you may be even more dynamic. I know yeah. um, when I was teaching at the U of A Extended U, I had 27 courses over one year. Wow. And I was learning the night before. <laughs> For sure. My first year teaching math, do you think that I was ready to teach honors geometry? No, I hadn't looked at that stuff in eight, nine, 10 years or whatever. I was learning it before as well. Yeah. So it was very, very fresh because like, okay, now I just read this is right here. Yeah. It's, it was almost fluid teaching. So in a way, sure. maybe that makes it more dynamic and yeah. exciting. Yeah. And you know, we all have our own unique stories and experiences that certain people are going to connect with. So like, I love Gary Vaynerchuk. I listen to his show all the time. And he always tells about how he sucked at school and he was just an entrepreneur from the get-go. And for a while, I was like, oh no, maybe like I'm not really a good enough entrepreneur. Like who am I? Because I was a nerd in school. Like I was the opposite. I didn't even know entrepreneurism existed until I was in my 20s. But so I used to feel like I needed to hide the fact that I used to be really good in school. But I was like, you know what? I have to just be me. So I started telling about how I was a nerd and telling about how I was like, you know, my friends and I literally thought a fun Friday night was like hanging out at someone's house, no drugs, no alcohol, nothing bad. And like prepping for the debate thing happening the next <laughs> day. I mean, like we're complete nerds. But by sharing that, I have so many people who are clients and in my group now who are like, I totally connected with that. I was a nerd too. So I think yeah, just <laughs> sharing who you really are is going to connect yeah. with the right people. I spent many a Friday and Saturday night <laughs> at the U of A library researching on microfiche and microfilm. Yeah. Yes, I'm old folks. Yeah. Or uh, the debate um, team. Amazing. And See, that so, sounds yeah, way more fun. Totally <laughs> <laughs> but... It's funny you brought up Gary Vanderchuk. Um, I just did a deep dive on him and read three of his books last week. Mm. Yeah, I um, love his stuff. And I still love him. So who's next? Who, who do I read next? Tell, tell me. What do you want to learn more of? I don't know. I, I like the Vanderchuk thing. I feel like I'm missing elements of it. I'm thinking mm. about reading Napoleon Hill. Like mm. That might be a an element that I'm missing about promoting the podcast and things. Well, I'm not sure. Think of a Rich is a classic. I would also encourage you to check out James Whitaker's update to Thinking of Rich. So Think of a Rich, The Legacy. He just wrote a companion book to the film that is coming out, James Whitaker. And he's going to be on my show very soon. We did the interview, but it's not coming out for a little while just because I'm I'm uh, pre-recorded so far. Huh? Famously backlogged. I am famously. I, I'm like, I need to publish more often, but I've just been so busy that I'm like, okay. I mean, I have a VA who helps me, but she isn't a full-time VA. So I'm also trying to not overwhelm her with, hey, just publish every day so I can get caught up for a while. But yeah, so I'd recommend James Whitaker check out his uh, Thinking Grow Rich, the Legacy follow-up book. Um, Another book that I really love that I feel like has made an impact for me this year, I read it in January. It's called Your One Word by Evan Carmichael. Have you read that? 
I have not yet. I, I heard hmm. you speaking about that, that you're one word. Yeah. So connections. Connection. Exactly. So, and I've got it right past your head on the screen. I've got it on my whiteboard right behind. Um, I read that in January and actually I did on audiobook and I listened to it like one and a half times speed. I felt like the author when he read it was too slow. So I, that's the benefit of audiobooks, right? And the idea was basically just to come up with that one core word that really is at the center of everything of who you are, business and otherwise. And it has some really fun exercises where you kind of reflect and think about it. And I realized I'm the happiest in my life when I have like a medium-sized core group of friends that get together often. I am seen as a super connector. So literally half my day is introducing other people to do business with each other, not even like... Mm -hmm building my own business, but just building social equity by helping other people connect. I just love being at the center of making connections. And then my second runner up board was fun because I feel like if it's not fun, there's no point. So <laughs> I wrote those on my board and I haven't wiped them off because I'm trying to make every decision based around that now. So it's like, do I want to create this kind of course or this kind of whatever? I have to say, does it is it connecting and is it fun? And if not, it's easy to say no. That sounds perfect. Now to wrap things up. Yeah. All the aspiring authors. Yeah. Where do they go to start? Okay. So copy that pops.com is like my central hub. It's the website. I've got epically long blog articles because remember I write a lot. So I've got <laughs> epically long blog articles that are super helpful. I've got podcast episodes to help you with everything around writing, publishing, everything. Um, then if you want to go to the next step, I have a free Facebook group. So you can find it at copythatpops.com forward slash Facebook. That will just redirect you over to the group in Facebook. So you don't have to go searching for it. And that's my best-selling author posse. So that is free. And I think it always will be free. It's just a nice community to answer questions and all the time. If people are going live with their books, they share and we all support them. Now, of course, if you just pop in randomly, like, oh, my book's live, everyone go buy it. Like that's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> you need to be active before your book is actually live, support other people going live with their book and, and contribute some value to the community, but you'll definitely get it back, sure. you know, a hundredfold. So there's that. And then if people want to work with me more in depth, I have two main programs. One is my bestseller implementation program. And that's mostly for people who are like, I want to bang out a book. I want it to hit bestseller. I want to know exactly what to do. And get you all the way through that. And then my inner circle is for those who, if they already have a book, awesome. If not, we'll get you to the level where you've got your book. But then we really focus on leveraging your book for even more. So we focus on nine different things. It spells out the word supremacy. And <laughs> <laughs> I know I have this like whole queen and king Keep thing. Keep it humble. Yeah. Well, it's, I have this like king and queen theme around it because one of the core stories that I share is my senior princess's story. I'm not sure if you've heard me tell that story, but it's basically the long and short of it is when I was in high school in Orange County, the most popular girls, they would print these shirts that said senior princesses on them and they would, they were pink and they would wear them all the time and make everyone feel like losers for not being cool enough to be a part of their group. And they just ran the school, like socially, they just ran it. And this tradition went unchallenged until my year in 1999. And so one day I got to school and my best friend ran up to me. She's like, Oh my God, you'll not believe what happened. And she told me that the geekiest, geekiest girls, the girls who are even lower on the social totem pole than we nerds were like the geekiest, geekiest ones. 
they mm-hmm. showed up to school with purple shirts that said senior queens on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was a riot. I mean, it was just like complete upheaval. The powers were challenged. The senior princesses tried to get them, the queens banned from wearing their shirts because it was their tradition and no one is allowed to do it. So when I tell this story, I talk about how I wasn't in either group, but I watched it and I knew what it felt like to be excluded. And mm-hmm. I recognized one, I never wanted to be like a senior princess where I was purposely creating something just to make other people feel bad for not being a part of it. But then mm-hmm. at the same time, I was so proud of the senior queens for saying, we aren't, our, who we are isn't defined by your exclusion. It's right. defined by how we choose to show up, how we choose to be. So I use that as a story of also helping people to just write their own book print your own shirt. You don't have to wait for the cool kids to tell you you're good enough. You get to show up and decide what you want to be and who you are. So I use that story to to convey that message and it has that king and queen theme around it. So that's why I have the supremacy thing. It's not meant to be like... No, that's a that's actually perfect to wrap it up. I mean, what a good message. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I loved it. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. Hi, this is Kara Mayer-Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said. I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in L.A. and you're an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the twelfth grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I got to talk to somebody. It's Really Famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. 